Welcome to the Carecast. So Hannah, thank you so much for joining us on the Carecast today. It's wonderful to have you. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to work for Care Northern Ireland? Hi Naomi, it's so good to be able to join you and um, to talk with you on the podcast. So thank you for inviting me along. Yeah, my name is Hannah, Hannah Arnold, and I live in Banbridge, County Down, Northern Ireland. (laughs) Um, I have lived here with my husband and my little dog, Poppy, for the last three years. Um, Both my husband and I aren't originally from where we live now. We're actually uh, both from County Fermanagh, which is over in the west of Northern Ireland. So we love to get back there in normal circumstances um, to visit our family and to really enjoy uh, the beauty um, of nature there. I originally trained as a primary school teacher. Um, So I graduated um, from a college here in 2015 um, in education. And... In April 2019, I took on a job with CARE, um, becoming part of the CARE in Northern Ireland team. And that was after a period of of about six, nine months of volunteering with the team here. So since April 2019, I have worked as a development consultant. And really, what does that mean? <laughs> well, my, enjoy, my job involves connecting with and supporting the local church. So that can mean ministry leaders, uh, pastors, and then it can also mean speaking about the work of care, um, communicating with existing and new supporters. So it, it includes a variety of different things, and my day-to-day job can look quite different, mm-hmm. but it's very much responsive to the needs of the church um, here in Northern Ireland. I would describe myself as being passionately pro-life and pro-women. Mm-hmm. So that's a bit about me. Wonderful. Well, we'll we're going to talk a bit more about um, all of that later as well. Um, so we're, we're talking today about uh, the change to Uh, abortion law in Northern Ireland. So uh, many of our listeners will know that uh, the law was changed last summer uh, when a bill was was put through Parliament, uh, an amendment was put to that bill which changed the law in Northern Ireland. And then uh, uh, we saw the law change in October when the Assembly wasn't reformed in time, uh, very sadly. And then we've had the the new regulations have come out um, just just the past month, which set out the the framework for the law in Northern Ireland. Um, So we're just going to be talking today about your experience um, of seeing that that law change and what it was like in Northern Ireland at the time, and just looking looking ahead as well at uh, what what future there is um, for the pro life movement in Northern Ireland. Um, so, firstly, just just as a young woman uh, living in Northern Ireland, someone that's been really involved um, in in all of this movement, um, what was what was that like? What was that law change like for you, and how did you respond to that? Yeah, so before I really um, get into that, I I would like to set some context first for how I've got here, (laughs) Uh, what the journey has been that's brought me here. And um, my awareness um, of and heart for this issue, I would say, was really born out of living for a time in the Republic of Ireland. Mm -hmm. And I watched as we, um, there in the Republic, approached the 25th of May, 2018. And that was the date set 
at for a referendum on repealing the Eighth Amendment. The referendum was held and the result of that referendum was the legalisation of abortion in the Republic of Ireland. And I have to say that my heart was broken Mm. on that date Mm. and afterwards for quite some time. By that date, we had actually moved back to Northern Ireland. And over time, I just really strongly felt that I had a responsibility to raise my voice on this issue. And so I got in touch with CARE, and that's where the volunteering uh, came into be. But fast forward to summer 2019, the news comes through um, to us as a team and the people in Northern Ireland that MPs in Westminster are planning to add amendments to the uh, Northern Ireland Executive Formations Bill. Mm-hmm. And really that would mean the removal of protections for the unborn in law and the legalisation of abortion. Yeah. And I'm sure as already many people listening know, um, this then all actually came to be, as you've already said, Naomi, on the 22nd of October 2019. And then we've had the regulations pass um, in June of this year, the regulations that govern the outworking of that law. Along with many others, I stood in Stormont. And in fact, I actually um, had the opportunity to sit in the Assembly Chamber on the 21st of October, 2019. And I watched on as MLAs discussed the reforming um, of the executive. And I watched as it was decided that that would not be possible and therefore this law would come to pass. I stood um, in the uh, in Stormont building as our MLAs held pre- press conferences um, to discuss what had happened and, and, and let the public know. And as a young woman from Northern Ireland standing there in that moment, I realised that I was standing in a moment of history. Mm-hmm. And I stood, um, in all honesty, heartbroken about what was going on. And in a sense, in disbelief. Why did I feel heartbroken above all else? Um, well, firstly, I felt heartbroken for the unborn lives that I knew would be lost as a result of this change in our law. Secondly, I felt heartbroken for the women whose lives would be forever changed and radically altered, really, and perhaps even traumatised by their experience of abortion. We have to acknowledge that this change in our law is actually not good news for women. Mm. Um, Lastly, I felt heartbroken because I really felt in that moment that those who were celebrating the change in our law did not really realise the reality of what they were celebrating. Um, And I felt heartbroken because I felt the people of Northern Ireland did not have the opportunity to discuss it Mm. or to make that decision for themselves. And actually, above all, through the summer of 
2019, uh, watching all that was going on in Westminster and then right through to October 2019 when we saw what happened in Stormont that day, I actually sensed the father heart of God breaking for his children. And when I say breaking for his children, by children I mean um, the unborn, yes. Mm. But I also mean women in Northern Ireland who would be impacted by this change in our legislation. Mm-hmm. So as a young woman, I felt deeply impacted mm-hmm. um, by what happened that day and have felt deeply impacted ever since. Mm. Wow, thank you for sharing. Um, yeah, so, I mean, it, it's such a, a painful situation for, for, for you to go through and it's so so clear your heart for, for women and babies as you're, as you're speaking. So how do you, I mean, how do you find hope uh, in, in this kind of situation? Like what, what kept you going um, when, when you were campaigning and campaigning and, um, and just, just seeing and, and praying and, and not seeing um, those prayers answered in, in the way that, that you had, you'd wanted or, or seeing, seeing the law get, get so much worse. Um, how, how did you kind of grapple with that? Um, what was that like? I think I think you've 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 said the exact word that really um, describes that experience of grappling, mm. <laughs> grappling with it. Um, it certainly has been a struggle, mm. um, not just for me. Many in Northern Ireland, as we've watched the unfolding of these events, but there were three things for me in particular that both encouraged me um, on a personal level, but also kind of things that happened, three things that happened that encouraged me as well. Um, As we approached the 22nd of October in particular, firstly, I would say the word of God has encouraged me. Um, Scripture tells us that light shines in the darkness. We read that in John 1, 5. Um, It tells me that nothing is impossible for our God, with our God, um, Luke 1, 37. And we serve a God who has given us an unshakable hope. Um, He is relentless in his pursuit of us and he is relentless in his unfolding of his plans and purposes on the earth. And I have been reminded of that fact, of those facts rather, over and over and over again, that he has good plans for us and he has good plans for where I live um, and for the unborn and for women from Northern Ireland. Secondly, I've been deeply encouraged by the prayers of his people. Um, We had the opportunity, the privilege of joining with a few thousand people at St Anne's Cathedral, Uh, people from across Northern Ireland, from across church denominations represented there um, that evening. And we met together to pray on behalf of our nation and pray on behalf of the unborn and women. We also had the opportunity to join with thousands of people across the country um, by setting aside a day of prayer. And during that day of prayer, churches from all over made sure that their doors were open for people within their community to come in and have that quiet space to reflect and pray about this issue. And we know as well that many people prayed um, in their own homes as well on that day. 
Thirdly, I would say that the desire of God's people from across Northern Ireland to raise their voice mm. has been so encouraging. Um, I've had the opportunity to speak on behalf of CARE in church gatherings, um, in ladies' groups, in youth groups, um, many places about this particular issue. And it has been obvious to me on many occasions that many people have been confused. Um, Confused about what has happened and how we have come to be here. But even in their confusion, they have demonstrated a desire to do something about it. Um, And so we have seen as a team, as you know, um, the evidence of that in the thousands of people who have uh, wrote letters, they've signed petitions, um, and there's been individuals and church leader groups who have met with their local MLAs here in Northern Ireland. So much activity has went on and has been the outworking of that desire to do something about it. Um, I would say most of all, um, the most visual way in which that was seen was when um, an estimated 20,000 people gathered at Stormont mm-hmm. um, peacefully protest and demonstrate that in being pro-life, they were against a change in our law that would see many lives lost. Mm-hmm. Um, I stood there on that evening with with my husband and with some members of our family. And part of that demonstration was several minutes of silence. And in that silence, again, I felt the father heart of God break for his people. I was so acutely aware of his presence with us by his Holy Spirit. And again, I was so acutely aware that we were standing in a moment of history. And I felt as his child, standing among many other Christians and other people who aren't Christians but are part of the pro-life movement, I felt in that moment the weight of responsibility to continue to make our voice heard and to try to be a voice for the voiceless. Mm -hmm. So I really feel that that was such a powerful moment. Mm -hmm. And as we look back in the days to come, we will realise what a powerful moment that was again and again. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's the ways in which that I have been strengthened and encouraged in what have been hugely challenging times. Mm -hmm. So you you mentioned that people have been feeling very confused about, about this change to the law. What, what, how have you generally gauged people's reaction? So, so they're feeling confused. What other, kind of, what, what other experiences are people sharing or emotions do you think people in Northern Ireland are, are feeling right now about this? Yeah. Um, as I listen to others and I've taken time to think it over for myself, I think there are broadly three categories that people in Northern Ireland can fall into. Um, Firstly, those who actually do not realise the significance of the change in our law. Um, The reality is that we now have regulations which allow for abortion on demand um, up to 24 weeks. We now have a law that allows for babies with a disability for example, such as Down syndrome, cleft palate, club foot, 
to be aborted up to birth. And it no longer, our law no longer protects women who are coerced into having an abortion. And so firstly, that first group of people, I, I, I really feel, do not realise the significance of and the extent to which our law goes mm. in terms of abortion. Secondly, there are certainly a group of people in Northern Ireland who have campaigned for a change in our law um, to legalise and liberalise abortion and who have celebrated that. And thirdly, there are those who see this change as detrimental to the life of the unborn child and to the life and well-being of women here. And for those in that third group, of which I am one, um, I think many feel their voice has been ignored by those who are in power, were in power, are in power at Westminster. Um, many feel that this change in our law has been imposed upon us without our consent. And that's despite MLAs at Stormont demonstrating their disapproval of one of the most significant and extreme aspects of the regulations around disability. I also think that there is a tension that exists um, because whilst our voices have seemingly gone unheard and this change has been forced upon us in a way which I would say undermines devolution, I actually sense that there is an awakening. Hmm. There is an awakening of the church in a way that there hasn't perhaps been before. There's an awakening to our responsibility to speak truth into our society in a loving and compassionate way. There's an awakening to our responsibility to stand alongside those um, who are vulnerable and to support those who are vulnerable in our community, particularly those who are affected by this issue. And so there's that tension. There's that tension between the heartbreak and the sense of injustice of it all, but also this awakening of the church mm. on this issue mm. and their responsibility to do something about it. Mm. Wow, that's really exciting. It's amazing how God works in these situations to, to raise up his church and, um, yeah, and, and really spur people on to to good works um, in his name. Um, so, yeah, I suppose, suppose thinking about the church going forward um, and, and the pro-life movement and, and people in Northern Ireland who are feeling really grieved by this change, what, what do you think people can do now? What, what kind of, I know we're going to talk about this a bit later as well, but what, what sort of, what is your hope for, for people? What, what do you think they can do practically uh, at this point? Mm. Okay, well, I would say, first of all, that the reality is that law shapes what happens in our society. And we know that because we in Northern Ireland chose not to introduce the 1967 Abortion Act, that there are 100,000 people alive in Northern Ireland today who would otherwise not have been. We also know that because often since the passing of the 1967 Abortion Act in the rest of the UK, that over 9 million unborn babies have been lost to abortion in England and Wales. Mm. 
And in fact, abortion rates reached their highest level since 1967 in 2019. 209,519 abortions took place in 2019 in England and Wales. Figures published um, just last week tell us that in the first year of the new system in the Republic of Ireland, there were 6,666 abortions performed on women resident in the Republic. Um, we know that 375 women travelled from Ireland to England to, to have an abortion, and that 67 women travelled from Northern Ireland to the Republic to obtain an abortion. And so we know that law shapes our society and what is allowed in law works its way down into action. And so for those of us who are pro-life, where do we go from here and what do we do? <laughs> um, I have a few points on this. And I know we're going to get into perhaps a bit more detail um, further on. But first of all, I would say that we have the opportunity to continue to make our voices heard with our elected, elected sorry, representatives. Um, I know the frustration of many, including myself at times, I have to admit, um, in feeling that our voices have not been heard. For some people here in Northern Ireland and... Um, I actually mentioned um, being from a different constituency um, originally. Um, for some people in Northern Ireland, in some constituencies, their MPs choose not to take their seat in Westminster. And so they, as a result, don't vote. Um, and so... Those people, um, of course, claim to represent the views of their constituency. Um, but I would actually like to speak personally for a, moment, for a moment on that particular issue, knowing at times that I have felt my views have not been heard and not been represented. Um, a few weeks ago, I was challenged on this from a verse in, in scripture, <laughs> from Psalm 102, verse 18. And I'm just going to read it for a moment. Let this be recorded for a generation to come, so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. Mm. I believe that we have a responsibility as Christ's representatives on earth to raise our voices, mm -hmm. to go on the record wherever we can and whenever we can and with whomever we can, to speak for the lives of the unborn and even to speak for the lives and the rights of those who are yet to be created. Mm -hmm. And I believe that scripture challenges us, um, commands us even to do so. Um, Secondly, we can educate ourselves. We can make sure that we are kept up to date with the latest developments and we obtain information from reliable sources. And so, yes, keep an eye on our mainstream media. But I would really um, point you towards our resources at CARE. 
Um, so I would encourage you to go onto our website and to look at our news section in particular on that website, um, which is updated, if not daily, regularly, as and when new information comes to light on the big issues. But I would also encourage you to sign up to receive ongoing updates on our work. And you can do that on our website and then that will come straight into your inbox on a weekly basis. And then you'll know that you are getting reliable information about this issue and then information that you can take and put into action um, what you're going to do about it um, when it comes to this issue of abortion. And thirdly, I believe that we must support and stand up for women mm. in crisis pregnancy. I don't believe that it's helpful to stand and to shout no. Shout no to abortion if we are not prepared to stand alongside those who find themselves in a crisis pregnancy and be part of the solution. We have to be part of the solution. And so I'll speak more about that later. Thank you. Yeah, it's so encouraging just your... Yeah, uh, how God spoke to you um, in that psalm because it can so often feel when you're when you're when you're campaigning on this issue or when you're you're speaking about this issue that um, you are kind of a voice crying in the wilderness that people yes. aren't listening um, and it can be so discouraging and sometimes it is just about it and I think it's generally in our work at Care um, we don't always get these massive victories um, because our our culture's moving so quickly in one direction. And we're we're trying to be that that voice of truth um, in the midst of this this generation, um, and you know, shine like stars in this generation. And and it is just being on the record sometimes, and just just being faithful. And we always say, you know, we need to be faithful in the situation, regardless of the outcome. Um, so so that that's such an encouragement, um, and yeah, so important to remember, remember for all Christians. You know, that this is this is part of our calling is is just to take a stand and and be faithful. Um, yeah. Great. So you you also mentioned the importance of education um, and how important that is in, in shaping culture. Um, and I know as a teacher, obviously, education is something you're really passionate about. Um, yeah. So how, how do you see the role of education uh, playing a real part in this work going forwards? Certainly. Well, fundamentally, I believe that this issue is an issue of the heart. So scripture tells us that out of the heart, the mouth speaks. We can read about that in Matthew 12, 34, um, Proverbs 4, 23, Proverbs 10, 11. There are many verses that we can turn to that tell us about the heart and what flows out of the heart. And we know that what is sown and takes root in the heart will bear fruit in our words and our actions. When we as people choose to deny that God exists, there is somewhat of a a domino effect. Forgive me, domino effect. We then cannot believe that we were created. When we choose to deny that God exists, we cannot believe that we were created. And when we no longer consider that our identity is rooted in being created in the image of God, we no longer see ourselves and others 
as fearfully and wonderfully made. So that inevitably <laughs> raises questions about the value of life and the value that we place on life in our society. When truth is proclaimed, seed is sown and fruit is produced. His word, God's word, is truth. And his word promises that when we speak his truth, the truth, it will never return void. It will always produce fruit. Um, and so I see education rooted in the truth of God's word and supported by science as being key. Particularly necessary, I believe, in the areas of our identity as human beings and then, as well as that, the development of the unborn child in the womb. Mm. So why do you think it's so important for um, young people in particular to be um, engaging in, in, the, in these arguments and these issues um, and, and, and thinking about identity in this way? Statistically, we know that one in three women in the UK will have had at least one abortion by the age of 45. That would, that would suggest that potentially many young women in their teenage years in Northern Ireland, in Northern Ireland sorry, now, given the change in our law that we've had, will face a decision in the future as to whether to obtain an abortion or not. So as part of the CARE in Northern Ireland team here, I have had the privilege of speaking two youth groups about this issue in particular. We have focused, as I said, um, on education around identity, who God says we are, um, and the development of the child in the womb. And following those meetings, I have had young people say to me that learning about this has meant that they now feel equipped mm -hmm. to go back into their context whether that be their friendship group, their home, um, their school peers, and speak well about this issue. I have also had young people, and I have to admit at times not so young people, <laughs> um, come up to me afterwards and say that hearing about development in the womb has changed their mind about abortion. That hearing facts backed up by science, such as that at fertilisation, unique DNA is formed, which, yes, decides the sex of the baby, but also decides his or her talents, their voice, their smile. And also that at three weeks, their heart starts to beat. Hearing those facts changes hearts and minds mm -hmm. and presumably when when you're speaking about this issue even with with teenagers um you know you can't ever assume that someone there won't have had an experience of abortion in some way and um, yeah. how do you how do you go about approaching the subject kind of sensitively being aware that that there might be people who have a kind of carrying that that story with them or that pain with them um yeah how, how do you how do you find that 
I think it's important to always, as you walk into a room, and actually let me go back a moment, as you prepare what you're going to say, you come with a heart that is soft and that is sensitive and ready to be shaped by what God is saying to you through his Holy Spirit as you prepare that talk. And as I prepare so many times, I'm so often aware of my own weaknesses and my own inadequacies. And so I really have to be guided by the Holy Spirit. He knows who is going to be in that room as I speak. He knows their story. He knows where they've come from. He knows what their experiences have been. He knows what they carry every day of their lives. And so as I go into that room with prepared with what I'm about to say, I just have to be so aware of all of the stories behind each of those faces. Um, and so I feel that we have a responsibility to speak truth, but we have a responsibility as his hands and feet to speak truth compassionately mm-hmm. in a loving way. Our God does not condemn us. It says in his word that he didn't come into the world to condemn us, but he came into the world to provide the way by which we may receive forgiveness, redemption, and be restored to relationship with him. And I think when we carry that heart, the heart of God, um, with us, that comes across. Um, And I have had conversations with people following talks who have shared part of their story with me. And I have been so thankful that they have felt that they could share their story with me and to know that we do not come in condemnation but as I said at the beginning we are passionately pro-life yes but to be pro-life is to be Mm pro-women and have that carry just carry that awareness with you at all times um, in your conversations with those you come across Um, Do I think that educating, um, whether it be young people, older people, whoever, about this um, will change views? At CARE, you know, (laughs) we believe in God's word. We believe that every human life has value and purpose from conception right through to natural end. We also believe that there is a better way than abortion. Understanding the development of human life in the womb, I think, can create a respect for the value of human life right from the very beginning. And I think it is time that we change the narrative on abortion. I think this is our chance to rewrite the story when it comes to abortion. And I think part of that working towards that, sorry, is educating ourselves um, about our identity and about development of human life in the womb. Mm -hmm. 
So you, you touched you touched on kind of that awareness when you're when you're going into um, a room and and people people there might have had an abortion or have some experience with abortion and um, you know I think this is so important for churches to be aware of as well that abortion can feel like such a taboo subject in church and something that we we just don't talk about and kind of historically churches just 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 haven't spoken about this it's very rare, rare to hear pastors um, or vicars pre- preach on this subject and so I think there can kind of be a culture of silence and, and what's amazing and I've had this experience too where when you do talk about it people come up to you and sometimes it's the first time they've actually voiced their experience of abortion um, and so it just highlights the importance of just talking about this issue in, in a really loving compassionate way it's actually allowing people to experience that freedom of of sharing their their own experience of abortion um, and and kind of find healing through that. Um, So just just thinking about the church in general um, and, and yeah, how how the church can can respond to this. How how do you see the church's role in in Northern Ireland or or more generally um, in in responding to this, this law change? Well, firstly, I would say that the church must have a response Mm -hmm. and whilst speaking the truth into society is a uh, I'll start again firstly I would say that the church must have a response and whilst speaking the truth into society is a significant part of that I think the greatest impact can actually be had pastorally. Great damage can be done to women who are part of a church and have experienced an abortion if abortion is spoken about in a way that is condemning. There can be fear of judgment for women who have grown up in the church even if they become pregnant and it's not in the most helpful or straightforward of circumstances they may have fear um, of judgment because it is an unplanned pregnancy and so it's complex but we as churches are commanded to share the gospel And we know that we live in an increasingly secular world and there will be women coming into our church communities, coming to faith, who have not had that traditional church upbringing. And they may not be aware that their experience of abortion may well be very different to that of others in the church. And so I believe that the whole response to abortion should be done in a gentle way, in a compassionate way. And church communities should have a conversation about abortion, a conversation about how they can support women who are part of their community, whether that be within the church or wider um, community, who need to be counselled and supported practically. Yeah, that's so important. Um, How do you kind of see CARES work um, going forwards in this particular more practical um, side of our ministry um, in terms of training up churches um, and people in churches to be able to respond pastorally um, to to the issue of abortion. And I know that 
um, you have been working with um, some pregnancy centres in in the UK, in in, in Britain, sorry, um, to uh, to develop um, some counselling in Northern Ireland. So, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, of course. Um, firstly, I would say that for nearly every abortion performed, there is a woman whose life has been impacted. There is a woman behind every statistic. Um, to be pro-life, as I've already said, we must be pro-women. Um, and so, as I have said already, any conversation within churches around the subject of abortion needs to be done in a compassionate way. There are many reasons why a woman would choose to have an abortion. And oftentimes, these reasons put the woman in a very difficult situation. Um, of course, we completely, wholeheartedly believe that life is God-ordained and is precious because of that and alongside that we need to be people full of grace and mercy while speaking the truth so I would say that we can work within God's boundaries whilst also expressing deep compassion to the woman we meet and so there's a necessity and a place for church leaders to be aware that there will be women within their congregations who have experienced abortion and they can be helped and given information about how to support those women and their partners. So we have a ministry within CARE, part of CARE, called OPEN. And OPEN aims to support church communities to create an environment within their church where unintended pregnancy and post-abortion concerns can be shared with grace and compassionate understanding towards those who have abortion as part of their story. OPEN also provides training for church leaders to address this sensitive subject, um, as well as lectures for those who are studying in theological colleges and uh, seminars at Christian events. We also can provide post-abortion recovery weekend retreats. Those retreats are for women who've experienced abortion and want to move forward into healing. Mm -hmm. um, and so I would say if you're listening along to this podcast, whether you are a church leader who would like to find out more about how to equip yourself and your congregation on this issue, or whether you're a woman or her partner, who has been impacted by abortion, I would say please don't sit and feel that there isn't support for you. Please reach out to us because we are here to help. Mm. Then let me move forward to counselling women in crisis pregnancy. Um, does that help women? <laughs> Many women who are experiencing a crisis in their pregnancy, whether because of that, uh, sorry, whether because that's unplanned or because um, they have had a change in their circumstances or they've received information of a disability in their unborn child, for whatever reason, they may feel they have no other choice. 
they often feel that they have to have an abortion because it is the socially accepted thing to do. There are also a significant number of women who are being coerced into making a decision to abort, whether they're being coerced by their partner or their family or um, their friends or perhaps um, their religious community, whatever it may be, they feel that they are being forced to make that decision to abort their child. In those circumstances, crisis pregnancy counselling can empower women. It can empower them to make their own decision whilst also giving them all of the information that they need to make an informed decision. There is a challenge ahead within our society, which is becoming increasingly secular. Of course there is. But our prayer is that women will find centres, that they will receive support when they need it, what support they need, and that churches will begin to look sensitively about how they can make this subject part of their teaching. Mm. Um, and we hope that women will be referred by health agencies, professional health agencies, because of the professionalism and the quality of the work that we and others are doing within centres. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so important that um, the church has this theological response and, and teaching, yes. but also this, this practical uh, answer to, to the, the way our society is going. And, um, you know, our prayer is for, for the whole of the UK and church churches in the UK to really embrace this, this practical response and get behind um, crisis pregnancy centres um, wherever your local one is, um, and just just really support women in these situations. I know, like you were saying, that coercion is is a huge issue uh, in in women uh, seeking abortion. Um, and I know from talking with um, crisis pregnancy counsellors myself that I think one one told me that she had never counselled a woman that wasn't subject to some form of coercion, whether that's through family members or a partner uh, or just just life circumstances. Um, so it's so important that we are so aware of that. Um, and also these centres um, really meet practical needs as well. I know some, some in uh, Britain uh, offer very practical services like help with benefits or baby clothes, things like that. But um, just anything that might feel like an obstacle for a woman in, in um, bringing up that child, it's just just that practical response is so important. Um, so it's, it's really exciting to hear about um, some of the work that, that, will be, that you'll be you'll be. Um, taking forwards in, in this area. Um, how, do you f- how do you think that church leaders um, can really equip their congregations going forward? If, if people are confused about this law, they're, they're, they're grieving, grieving the law rightly. It's, it's, it's right to have that time of, of grieving. But, but how, can, how can church leaders really equip, equip members in their congregation to kind of take, take this issue on? Yeah, so a few ideas come to mind. Um, the idea is I'm just going to list them out. I have five. There are others, of course, and these depend um, upon the context in which a church leader, a church community finds themselves, and they will know what is needed within their community. Um, but these five ideas um, 
some of my own, some are the thoughts of some of my colleagues who have had years, decades of experience in this area. The first is sensitive teaching on abortion, really laying out a foundation of truth about what scripture teaches about the value of life. Who are we? We are created by God, made in his image. We are of value and he has created us for purpose. So sensitive teaching on abortion um, and sort of going back into the theology of why it matters, why life matters is so important. Number two, pastoral care training. And I've already said that if that's something that a church are interested in, we can help you with that. Number three, making links with pregnancy crisis support centres. And so that is something at CARE that we will be working on in terms of training and equipping uh, people to uh, be part of that solution in their community. But really starting to look into that as a church community and creating connections within the community is so important. Number four, if it doesn't exist within your community already, opening a pregnancy crisis support centre within your church. And number five, connecting with an existing or, if it doesn't exist, starting a new bank of practical items to support newborns and their mums who are in who are in vulnerable positions within your community. I know of ministries in Northern Ireland who already do that. If you would like to get in touch, I can link you in with them. Perhaps you have the heart to do that yourself within your own community. And I really feel, and you said it there, Naomi, you we're talking about theology, but also action. And I really feel we are to be people of truth and action. Mm. And it's so important to be practical about these matters. Mm. Um, and one great way of being able to do that is giving items that really help new babies born and their mummies mm. um, in those first few days, weeks, months. Fantastic. So finally, um, you know, you've got, so many great ideas here uh, for kind of tackling this this issue going forwards. Do you feel do you feel a sense of hope for um, for the future of women and babies in Northern Ireland? What what do you feel looking forwards looking looking to the future? The short answer <laughs> is yes, <laughs> but I'll expand on that answer. Um, I actually I realise that in saying yes to that question. That may seem odd. Um, given everything that we've talked about, you know, you may think, well, how can you say you're hopeful for the unborn children of Northern Ireland who we know whose protection has been stripped away from them in the womb? Or how can you feel hopeful for women who are facing incredibly difficult circumstances and they're trying to make a decision about whether they're going to obtain an abortion or not how how do you be hopeful um but I would say I am hopeful because of the God that we serve he is sovereign over all 
he is working in the seen and the unseen. And his heart is one of mercy, compassion, justice, and love. I am hopeful because of the God that we get to serve. Secondly, I would say that I am hopeful because I see a church beginning to rise. A church that in finding their voice to speak the truth in compassion and in exploring the ways in which they can help vulnerable women in their community, they are being the hands and feet of Jesus. They are responding to their calling to lead the brokenhearted to the one who can bind up their wounds and declare those imprisoned by regret, by guilt, by shame, you are forgiven and free. Mm. Leading them to the one Jesus, whose desire is to restore them. Um, For the past 40 years, CARE has endeavoured to stand up for the value of life. We're continuing to do that here in Northern Ireland and across the rest of the UK. And I would really challenge you, will you join us? Will you be part of this awakening? Will you be part of this movement? The team here um, at CARE, particularly in Northern Ireland, because we're talking about Northern Ireland today, we are here to help you. We're here to support you. We're here to stand alongside you. And so I would just say, please get in touch if you have any questions or you're interested in inviting one of us to come along and speak to your church or your ministry group about this issue or any of the other issues that we cover and we work in. Lastly, I am hopeful because I see the tide changing on abortion. And I see glimmers of that. And I'll I'll explain that. Um, As I look across the global landscape, I hear and see people awakening to the lies that have been told to women and to men about abortion. The lie that abortion is freedom. The lie that abortion is a solution. Um, The lie that abortion does not have an impact. And I see an awakening to those lies. And I see a rejection, the beginnings of a rejection of those lies. Um, I really believe that there is a better way than abortion. I believe that there is a better story to tell. There's a better narrative to tell. And I believe it's time in Northern Ireland for the church, for Christ's representatives on earth to step into their calling and their responsibility to be part of telling that better story for the unborn and for women in Northern Ireland. Mm. Amen. That's that's so encouraging. Thank you so much, Hannah. It's been just so wonderful to, to have you on, on the podcast. Thank you so much for sharing your heart with us and 
um, just know that that we're all praying for Northern Ireland. Um, we know that so many of our supporters uh, in Britain have been telling us that they're they're praying for Northern Ireland, um, and we're really excited to hear about um, that what God's going to do uh, in churches across Northern Ireland in the future in all of this work, um, helping counsel women in crisis pregnancies and just all of the practical uh, needs that will be met and, and the good work that's that's going to be uh, being done, I'm sure, um, in the future. So thank you so much. It's just been wonderful having you. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you very much, Naomi. It's been a joy and a privilege. Thanks. You've been listening to The Carecast. Remember to subscribe to get the latest episodes and find out more about the work of care on care.org.uk. Care for what you believe.